Hello and welcome to Red Rose Spotlights. This is the series of the podcast where I, using my powers of being a host, select people who I find interesting, are behind some fascinating courses, or who I just think really deserve a bit of time in the spotlight. Now, joining me today for a double billing, we have got from Labour Doorstep, Rhiannon Jenkins and Pani Antonio. Hello. 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 Hi guys, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. You? Oh, you know, just hanging on. How about you, Rhiannon? Yeah, yeah, doing good. Living the dream in lockdown as you can. I mean, we're technically out of lockdown, but you know what I mean. I'm spending most of my time indoors, so, you know, <laughs> as good oh. as you can be. Uh, unfortunately, that is, uh, I'm just reliving my teenage experience with that style of life, but, uh, you know, here we are again. Now, yeah. my two guests today are from Labour Doorstep. Now, before we get into discussing what exactly Labour Doorstep is and why I've decided to highlight this today, I think it'd be probably important if we understood where you two come from in terms of your politics and your influences. Um, so I'm going to start with Pani. Um, so I, I guess I guess I take influence from a pretty wide variety of sources. I, I've always been interested in politics. Like my degree at uni was in history and politics. And as soon as I got a choice in units, it was all politics with no history at all. So in terms in terms of political figures, there's a there's a pretty broad range kind of throughout the party. So Bob Castle is one of them, Bernie Grant is another. And yeah, I'm, I'd I'd say I'm kind of on the soft left of the party. And yeah, just take take influence from a broad range of different sources and people was there any particular thing a bit more close to home that kind of set you off with the political passion um not really to be honest i think i think i've always i know this is a pretty strange thing to say but i think i've always just been really fascinated by it i remember when i was um i would have been like eight years old and i I remember i remember asking my mum if i could go to the ballot box with her and she'd insist that I did my homework first. So you you would not believe how quickly I did my homework so I could go to the ballot box with my mum. So that that was... Uh... Wow. <laughs> yeah. I wish I cared when I was eight. That's amazing. What about, <laughs> what about you, What about you, Rhiannon? What's your uh, influences in politics? Um, so I first got interested in politics when I was um, diagnosed with my chronic illness. So I um, was studying sociology at... Um, a level at the time so obviously that was giving me a little bit of um, you know it wasn't quite politics obviously but it was giving you sort of ideas of the ways that different societies worked so when I got diagnosed with my illness it made me sort of realize that oh gosh these kind of things can happen to anyone Um, and it made me really appreciate our national health service and obviously um, when I started looking more into the national health service and everything and obviously there were general elections and things uh, coming up and there were local elections and things obviously as there always are um so I sort of thought oh I wonder what party I kind of align myself the most with and obviously found out that Labour was the party that founded the NHS and things like that and then sort of my interest in it widened to sort of like well actually Labour want what's fair for everyone in terms of health um and then I sort of looked at their other policies and were like they just seem like the most fair party to me in terms of everything so um yeah it was definitely sparked off by being diagnosed and realizing how much I appreciate the NHS but um yeah and then I've sort of realized that I guess their policies aligned a lot with a lot of my morals so that's where I kind of joined the dots I suppose and became involved in politics 
both of you went yeah. from being just involved in politics, uh, mildly fascinated into it, into being behind the group Labour Doorstep. Now, I wasn't too sure when I sat down to do my research what exactly I should define Labour Doorstep as mm. other than just broadly an activist group, which um, I, I figured sounded too, well, just, you know, vague. So I was wondering if in your own words you kind of describe what it is for me. I'm going to start with Rhiannon this time to shake things up. So I wasn't one of the um, founding members of Labour Doorstep. I came in a little bit later, but um, to me, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just a, a group of people who, you know, want people to go out and campaign, but we want people to have the tools and, and things that they need to be able to do that confidently. Um, and there are a lot of seats, you know, especially in general elections and stuff that aren't marginal seats. Um, so they won't get a lot of funding and a lot of attention and things like that. So I think what we want to do is really sort of um, engage people in that in a, in a movement so that they can build their confidence and be able to campaign confidently and know that sort of sort of feel like they know what they're doing I suppose um yeah and that's that's been a little bit difficult obviously because we're in a pandemic we can't go out and physically knock doors so it's kind of got us thinking of different ways that we can campaign which is why we put out a lot of graphics and things like that about different issues um so I suppose as well as you know getting people involved it's sort of widening the ways in which we can campaign and getting people involved in that sense as well. Yeah. So turning to Penny then, it would be fair to describe Labour Doorstep as a campaign machine more than anything else. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of why we set up. So I was I was one of the founding members. And the, the reason why we set up is because we were seeing all of these hashtags with people going, yeah, we're on the hashtag Labour Doorstep. And they were just getting lost to the wind and nothing was happening with them. No one was doing, going out and saying, like, this is what we're doing. We're Labour. This is our campaigning strategy. This is how we plan on doing X, Y and Z. And we, we felt like it was a really missed opportunity to sort of expand on our message, build on our message and gain new supporters through both, like, physically knocking on doors and being on the Labour doorstep, but also through digital platforms and kind of promoting our message. So that's, yeah, that's sort of why we set up. And yeah, it's just a group of activists from across the country. Yeah, I, I must say, I, I like the idea of almost um, creating a sort of buzz around activism, because that's actually what ended up getting me to join in 2017. It was that spirit which kind of drove it around. And it was this real sense of energy which the 2019 campaign whether that was just because of bad weather the main issues of the campaign just seemed to lack I suppose uh, for one of better words now 2020 should have been the year of local elections which might have been a nice place to trial out some of the ideas of Labour doorstep but unfortunately we've not had any because of a lockdown I was wondering if whilst I've got you on the podcast I could ask you to basically like what sort of you know campaign you know tips and tricks or um you know grafting tactics might someone like me who maybe has forgotten how to do it properly need to take on board um and we'll start with panny um so so in terms in terms of that i think one thing which we so we try to take lessons from all places that we can take lessons from so one thing which we noticed in our loss in 2019 was obviously the Tories' superior digital strategy. 
and how they handled that and how they had a unified message and how they kind of hammered that message home as well as all of the ads and the viral content that did really well for them. And that's something that we can look at replicating. And again, looking at the Biden campaign and how they sort of encouraged people, obviously it was partly due to the pandemic, but they encouraged people to give in postal votes. And that obviously increased turnout. And I think when you increase turnout, it is left-wing parties like the Democrats and like Labour which benefit. So I think when sort of designing a digital strategy, we need to make sure like how shareable is it, how viral could it be? And when physically knocking on doorsteps, we have to always remember, like to ask, do you want a mail-in ballot? Mail-in ballot? Yeah, I mean, I, I was quite excited by uh, something which I saw in my research, which was that Labour Doorstep has uh, kind of talked about in its steps of setting up, almost establishing a activist handbook for campaigning. What, what exactly would this handbook look like? So the so so the handbook which we're trying so so the the only reason we haven't released the handbook yet is because obviously we're not able to knock on doors. The handbook is sort of ways like diff, different looking at kind of different demographics and like the interests which are sort of important to them so it's not really about having a different message for different people but ensuring that you know which bit of a message resonates so if you're knocking on the door and i'll tell you let's take an example um i live in morian outwood please don't dox me uh <laughs> you know prime x red wall seat what what kind of messaging would that maybe require so it's it's sort of talking about how obviously a lot of people lent their votes to the Tories the last time round, and it's about ensuring that we sort of focus on the message that do you know what we have it we have let you down we have we have to be honest they they wouldn't be voting for the Tories if Labour hadn't let them down like we don't have a God given right to vote we have to be like do you know what we have let you down but we have changed. And ultimately, look at what the Tories are doing. They have failed like your communities and they're not living up to the vote which you lent them. We can live up to the vote which you hopefully give us and continue to give us. And this is how we're going to do it. So that's that's sort of the kind of strategy to take. I quite like the idea of that mostly because... um... Parts of the manifesto always do better than the others and given the region. Um, in fact, it's why uh, we were thrilled last election when we discovered the Labour manifesto would contain a paragraph talking about Yorkshire. We, we tried our hardest to make sure we could fit that paragraph into every single doorstep conversation. Uh, I mean, I mean, turn to you, Rihanna. Would you find something like that helpful in like past election experiences, almost having like a guide of what policies to maybe lead on? What, when you're sort of campaigning and speaking to people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Especially locally. Yeah. Um, I mean, because, for, for example, like in the general election 2019, um, we had lots of activists coming down to my constituency from London to come and campaign with us. And it would be really helpful for us to just kind of have something to just give them to say, these are the main policies that are you know most affected in our area. These are the things that people care about here. Um, you know, just to be able to give them that to, to speak to other people on the doorstep about, because obviously it's different from region to region, isn't it, as to what is the pressing issues and things like that. Um, so, yeah, definitely, I think it would be 
very handy to have some kind of campaign handbook that has that kind of information in um, that, you know, goes from a regional perspective. Yeah, definitely. How do you guys feel ahead of next May's elections up and down the country for local assemblies, councils and even a couple of mayors? I, I don't know, because I mean, if you look at all the the kind of polling data and things like that that come out, a lot of them are showing that, you know, the public are a lot more, I'd say, satisfied with um, Labour at the moment, as opposed to what they were, you know, kind of a year or so ago. Um, but ooh, I mean, I'd like to say I'm confident, but obviously that's that's still a good sort of five months away, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to I, I want to say that I'm confident. Um, but I think we still definitely need to put in the, the kind of the grafting and the groundwork um, because it's like Panny said earlier, like we're, we're not entitled to anyone's vote. Like nobody, you know, thinks, oh, yes, I have to vote for Labour. Like, of course they don't. They could still vote for the Tories in these local elections. So I think we could do well, especially given the polling data. But I think we still need to put in the uh, footwork and get out there and talk to people, whether that's actually getting out on the doorstep or whether that's engaging um, with people in other ways. Do you share this cautious optimism, Panny, or are you, like um, me, a bit more of a I cynic? I am <laughs> cautiously optimistic, but I agree complete. I agree like, completely with Rand, and I think that we can't rest on our laurels. We have to have, especially as their local elections, and especially as their like the Welsh Assembly and the um, Scottish Parliament and the London Assembly and all the various mayoralties. I think we have to be because it's not a general election we can't talk big picture we have to be like these are the issues which are important to this area this is what we're going to do to fix them if you have a labor government in wales which has done a fantastic job you have a late you have a labor mayor in um london who's done a fantastic job in manchester who's done a fantastic job you've got like people like the smp in scotland who Ultimately, if we're if we're honest, they claim to be more left wing than the Tories, but they've made similar mistakes throughout this pandemic. And popular Tories, like for example, um, Andy Street, the mayor for the West Midlands, West Midlands, is it? Yes. Like he's incredibly popular locally, but we still have to point out. Do you know what? He's still a Tory. He's still like supportive of this government, and we we need to send a message. We're not satisfied with this government. No, um, and I must agree with you that the locals are a good place to do that, even if you do end up having more conversations about bins and about, you know, <laughs> grand scheme politics. Um, I'm actually just curious as well. How many uh, campaigns have you guys done before? Like, uh, not not just Labour doorstep, but like personally, like how many elections have you actually fought? Um, do you mean like personally me running in an election or do you mean oh no I'm, I'm talking about you being the very people you guys seek to empower the uh you know just being an activist being going being out an and activist. oh gosh um well my first uh well to be fair actually 2019 the election just gone was my first general election where I was actually active and went out and door knocked um I think I got involved in the party uh I think it was probably 2017 when I finished university so I've only really been active for about three years but mm. we had so many by-elections um in my home constituency like we just had one after another after another so I've done quite a lot of local elections um which I think helps and I am actually standing as a candidate in May 
So oh, wow. that's going to be interesting <laughs> seeing it done as a, like from a candidate perspective. So um, yeah, this is my first one as a candidate, but I've done quite a few local ones over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Penny? Um, so the first election that I kind of actively campaigned in and canvassed in was uh, 2017 uh, for Rupert Huck. This was, this was when it was regarded as a marginal seat and one of the seats which we might lose. And obviously she went and increased her majority and now it's a massively safe Labour seat. So that was something that I was really proud of. I think we ran, I mean, the Tories ran a dreadful candidate who is now sadly an MP in another constituency. It was it was a Joy, Joy Morrissey who's taken uh, Dominic Greaves' old seat. But yeah, I was really I was really pleased with the campaign that we ran. I did a, did, did a lot of phone banking and stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's about it. I didn't, I didn't campaign in 2019 because, to to be perfectly honest, in terms of the anti-Semitism and all of that stuff, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable going out and knocking on doors. I didn't have confidence in the leader, so I didn't campaign in 2019. But I'm looking forward to getting campaigning again in 2021. Now, I actually asked about the experience, hoping that one of you might lean into stuff like that because I want to just turn. To an area which um, I'm, I'm curious to see what your answer might be. So, as, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I've just spent the last year ingrained in the internal battles for Labour's NEC, Young Labour, the leadership, you know, all that lovely infighting which this party cannot get enough of. Inevitably, uh, an organisation like Labour Doorstep, well, you know, it continues to grow and expand, which I hope it does, will come to a point where there will be individuals inside who might start to, you know, creep in uh, secretarian divides within the party, um, just because it, it seems to me that the group is such like an umbrella for different, you know, tribes and stuff that it inevitably it might lead to a possible clash. So I just was wondering, like, what, have you guys got anything like in place to avoid that or to keep the culture like nice and uh, positive? So, yeah, we, we've got a... Our Facebook group has over a thousand people in it. And obviously, when you've got a thousand people in it, it gets to a stage where people will be trying to post factional stuff like, oh, I, I, I hate Corbyn, or oh, I love Corbyn, or I hate Starmer, or whatever it is they're posting. Like, we had some Sir Keith Stalin stuff uh, the other day. Uh, but we, we just don't allow that in the group. Like, that post will not. So, we have our moderating team won't allow anything that's either ultra-negative about Starmer or ultra-negative about Corbyn or just anything anything factional in that sort of way, whether it's about individuals or about sections of the party, like, oh, I hate men to Labour first, that just will not be allowed in the Labour doorstep Facebook group. In mm. terms of our management group, which Rhiannon and I are a part of, like we've got people who are in progress, we've got people in Labour first, Labour, momentum. So we we sort of span the breadth of the party. But one thing which unites us all is wanting to campaign and fight for a Labour government because we all believe, like we all passionately believe that whatever you think of the current leadership or the last leadership or any leader we've had, the worst 
uh, Labour government is still better than the best Tory government. I guess that's sort of our mantra. That's the mantra I can get behind. Uh, I'm also bringing back Jim Callaghan this very second. Um, <laughs> Rhiannon, I'm, I'm just wondering, because obviously, as you say, uh, you've been involved in the party for just about as long as I have. Um have you experienced much of this kind of like you know cross-party uh cooperation on the doorstep before because i i find sometimes that uh it's almost as if like certain uh constituency campaign groups are dominated by like a certain faction at times from what i've been told by other people across the country i was just wondering what it'll take us yeah i think that's pretty accurate um i haven't campaigned in too many places apart from my local constituency but like I said, when we've had people come down um, from different constituencies, I think you're quite right in saying that, you know, certain groups seem like they're from a certain faction. Um, but a lot of the time on the doorstep, people do kind of still come together. And like, I mean, we're out there for that common purpose, which is to, to convince people to vote for Labour so that we can get Labour in government, whether that's locally or nationally. Um, I think kind of like I'd say sort of like 90% of the time in my own experiences that factionalism when we're out door knocking or whatever it's kind of put aside um it's only when you're actually say in your own sort of CLP meeting or something maybe that the factionalism comes out like it's almost like most of the time when it's you know when people are confronted with the bigger picture which is getting labour into government um they put the factionalism aside um, when we're trying to convince other people to vote for us. But it's when we sort of come back into our own little bubble that everyone starts fighting again. Um, and I think, yeah, like what Panny said is, um, you know, everything that we do, like sort of not allowing certain posts in the Facebook group is to try and keep that morale going um, mm. sort of within sort of a party sphere to keep the morale of we all want this together. We want to try and do this together and to kind of keep that momentum, pardon the pun, going um yeah and I'd say as well what we do is we try and keep a lot of our posts positive um like we'd never kind of try and slate a certain faction of the party throughout any of our graphics or anything like that we'd only ever sort of want to attack like the Tories and the other parties when they're doing something wrong yeah yeah okay okay that's yeah that's good (laughs) I'm enjoying the uh passionate pursuit of positivity it's uh something which uh God knows we need more sometimes. <laughs> now, we've spoken a lot about the need to get a Labour government. But for the final question, as I always end the podcast, I've decided to grant you your dream scenario of having a Labour government, which is at your disposal. Uh, both of you in separate universes have somehow managed to come into a 650 seat majority, let us say. And you've got the House of Lords on side, the Supreme Court's not going to issue any kind of challenges, there's going to be no weird debates that pull everything apart. You've got just enough time to post one piece of policy through all the system, and then it's there forever. What do you pick and why? I'm going to start with... Let's pick Rhiannon. I have been thinking about this, like, all day, um, and I was just like, oh my god, I don't know what what I'd go for um you know I had a few like sort of crazy scenarios in my head and I thought no that, that's maybe, maybe a little bit too wild um but I think honestly I would probably go as simple as you know I must say following Scotland's lead and um, making period products free for everyone um because it's it's a simple thing but you know there's so many medications and things like that that obviously we can get like say prepayment cards if you're not exempt um 
and you know you can get your medications that way if you're on a lot of medications or things that you require to keep you living and functioning and periods are like that they're like a bodily function that you can't control so why on earth why on earth firstly are they considered a luxury um i mean i know that the chancellor rishi sunak has said that he's gonna um get rid of the tampon tax um come next year you know whether he'll follow through on that we'll see but i think we should follow scotland's lead and, and completely abolish it i know it's it's only something little but i just think it would save so many women anxiety it would you know save us forking out loads of money for something that we shouldn't need to fork out money for yeah I know it's only a little thing but that that just is something to me that I thought yeah actually it's a bodily function you can't control that little things make the world go around so don't don't apologize for that yeah absolutely and it's also it's well this is the why I asked the question because it kind of shows like it gives people a chance to talk about an issue which uh, sometimes falls under the cracks. I mean, some people go for like the, the big and obvious answers or something radical and wild. And other people <laughs> go like, all right, I've got one chance. There's a specific thing that's been bugging me in my entire life I'd like to get fixed. And with that in mind, let's turn to Panny. Well, I've thought, I've thought long and hard about this. So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do a Douglas Ross and decide to do a racism. Don't worry. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> oh, this, this no, is no, all no. the hallmarks of a good answer. Go on. <laughs> no, no, I think I think the most important thing is, and this is probably a bit of a cheat answer, is have a constitution, have a proper constitution. Where at the moment, with our unwritten constitution, we've got the Tories just saying it's fine. We'll change the law. Whereas if we had a constitution where they weren't able to sort of over all of the norms, values and rules that we've built up over the last however many hundred years, then I think we'd be in a much better place. I'm not going to lie, like, it's not a cheap answer because it's within the realms of it and equally, I think, I think the pros of doing that would be that we wouldn't have scenarios like the last few months where people have been quoting the Magna Carta to discuss what rights they have um, because... That is still technically part of the British Constitution because it's just a bunch of documents taped together and hopes it all works. But equally, I think you've just made an enemy of the publishers of Escrime May and the people who bring it out every couple of years. Uh, you know, so watch out for them because they'll probably try and run some sort of smear campaign. But with those two policies sealed away, you have been ousted by your shadow chancellor who has now got to pay for the whole bloody thing. So they've got rid of you. And just like that, we've reached the end of the podcast. We've talked quite a bit about the Labour doorstep. So what I'm going to do, dear listener, is if you've decided that this sounds like something I want to be involved in, or at least I want to check it out, I'm going to leave in the description the social media links to the wonderful accounts for this organisation, including the Facebook group. Equally, if you've been listening to Panny or Rhiannon and you thought these guys seem like they know what they're talking about, I've also left the links down below to their Twitter accounts where you can follow them for consistently good content or just some decent takes because there's not enough of those in the world if you've enjoyed the podcast and you want to follow more of it check out our twitter on at red reporting or simply find us on facebook honey rhiannon thank you for coming on thanks for having us (laughs) and thank you for listening goodbye